This is Blix. This is John. This is Trab. This is Ben. Hello, and welcome to the TriTech Podcast. That's right. Blix is running the show tonight. We talk about all things TriTech, Frenchworthy, Euro 13, and we're going to continue with our talk on disasters. Tonight, we're doing pandemics, especially zombies. So... Uh, tonight we have a special guest, Ben Burke. Uh, I invited him to come on because he has a, a zombie product currently in production of. So, um, so Ben, why don't you uh, talk about that? Sure. Uh, it's a product that I'm putting out for Pathfinder, a source book called The World of Arunias, which deals with a high fantasy zombie apocalypse scenario. Um, just because it hasn't really been done to my satisfaction yet, so I figured I would formalize everything write it up right hand and, and, and make a source book for it. Tonight, basically, we're continuing our, our, uh, our talk on disasters, and we've been focusing mainly on natural disasters. And while plagues and contagions and such can be natural disasters, a lot of times they're man-made. We're going to kind of lump it all together. Start out talking about pandemics in general. So, basically, when you're talking about a pandemic of, of any kind, uh, you have to think of there's certain factors involve certain key elements um, you have like incub- incubation period uh, you have your uh, infection vector you have your contagious period you know how fast it spreads and all of these lead to um, how fast it can spread and how you know nasty it's going to be let's start with incubation period you know this is the period of time in which somebody gets infected uh, before they actually be you know, showing the signs of being infected. You get the flu, so you might contact somebody with the flu and get infected with it, and then I think it's 24 to 48 hours later, you actually start showing symptoms, mm-hmm. and then I'm not really sure what, what part of that you become contagious, but I think some of it, which is really nasty, which is why the flu spreads so well, is that you actually become contagious before you start showing symptoms. So that's, that's part of the nasty parts of uh, infectious disease when you're contagious and you don't even know it. You're really coming to the stage, I mean, you know, like I said, there's, there, there's actually a six-stage classification that the, C, that the uh, World Health Organization uses. So, yeah, they, they, they basically have a, uh, a six-phase pro- process of covering diseases. So, you know, so basically, uh, phase one is, you know, you, you, you've, you've been infected, basically. But there's not much in the way of. Um, oh wait, these are. Um, oh no, these are. Oh, I'm sorry, their their six phases are actually not. I'm looking at theirs. It actually is, is the actual pandemic, not the actual disease itself. The disease itself usually you you basically you've been you've been infected, then you go through a period of being contagious, which may or may not coincide with your symptoms. Usually, it comes before. Yeah, yeah, usually before, though in some cases it's 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 concurrent, like smallpox. You get smallpox from the uh, it can be transmitted from the pustules that form on you. I mean, I, I would imagine you're generally contagious from just before you have the symptoms to the entire time that your body is producing all the stuff that the symptoms are making you have, coughing or vomiting or bleeding or what have you. Because that's how the virus gets out. Yep, if I remember correctly, I think that's how measles works. I think measles, you're contagious before you get the actual blots. So, so let's talk about vector. Now, vector is a term that they always use when they talk about how viruses spread 
or well anything any kind of contagion vector is the delivery system so it can be a vector can be i don't know a bite from a zombie or it could be somebody sneezing on you it could be bloodborne pathogens it could be mosquitoes mos- airborne pathogens mosquitoes right airborne which are the nastiest and that that's really important when you're determining how how your your disease is going to work because if you have to breathe it in it means you can't get it out of drinking the water if uh, if it requires a zombie biting you, then that means you know you have to decide: uh, is it does it affect you if he just bleeds on you, or does he have to break your skin? Um, is it the saliva? Is it the blood? I mean, these things have to be determined because it's going to be really important, you know, especially in a role-playing sense. If you're, you know, if you're playing the game uh, and your characters get mixed up in some messy stuff, you need to know exactly how that disease works. Yeah. So vector is exceptional. I think is one of the most important parts. Oh yeah. You know, but in game terms, it really comes down to airborne uh, contact and ingestion. If like if, if somehow you have to take it in orally, like drinking bad water or whatever. You know, somebody contaminates a water supply or something with a bioengineered virus or bacteria or whatever. And don't don't forget our don't forget our friends the insects as well too. Yeah. yeah, but when I say contact, contact can actually, remember, contact can happen because I shake someone's hand and transfer it that way. Or I sit on a seat, and then they sit in that seat, and they pick it up that way. So that that's, that kind of transfer, the second kind, is kind of rare, but you know, it does happen, you know. Right, especially and with contact, you have to decide, is this got to be warm body to warm body? Like, can it be left behind on a seat? I think contact is actually less rare than a lot of people think. You can get the flu through contact. That's sure. True. That's yeah. why you always wash your hands. Yeah. Right. And that's that's even another type of, of contact because yeah, it doesn't it's not just because you touched it, it's because you touched it and then you rubbed your eye or you you know, you put put your hand in your mouth or, or whatever, or you ate food, you touched the food and then it got into your body. Your skin is a really good armor. It's a very strong barrier against diseases. So um you know, you have to decide, is it getting through the actual skin? So that means the second you touch it, that's it, you're infected. Or do you have to eat actually it. have to eat it? Or, yeah. or or do you have to get it in you through like some kind of membrane? Yeah. Like, I don't know, you, you you know, you scratch your underarm or something. It goes through your mucous membrane or whatever. Yeah. Or your, or, yeah. or we, we are screwing on the other me- method. Some people might consider it a fun method of transmission, but. Uh, yeah. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I believe that that's already covered in the mucus. Right. Uh, mucus yeah, which technically, yes. Yes. Contact. Right. Yes, we'll, we'll use his initials, STD. Right. Yes. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, for example, let's, you know, let's take, for example, AIDS. AIDS is actually very difficult to catch. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't just catch it. You know, as a matter of fact, I found out recently that through just normal means, like, like kissing, you basically cannot get it through kissing. It's like if you get it through kissing, it's probably because they had a bleeding ulcer in their mouth, and you did too. I mean, it, it, it's it's literally almost impossible to get it through kissing um, and through other forms of places you might put your mouth. Just to say that it, it's difficult to get. It's it, And it's actually it's harder for women to give it to men than for men to give it to women or other men. Yeah. So it's just, you know, that that's where I'm saying that vector can be 
Yeah, it, Vector can be very tricky like that. It doesn't do well outside of its uh, of a host body. Right. So yeah, you you can't get from toilet seats unless you're like covered in something. <laughs> I think one doctor one doctor I talked to I I asked him if you could get if you could get um, a sexually transmitted disease on a to- off a toilet seat and he said yeah if you're having sex on the toilet seat. <laughs> so. Things you shouldn't do with zombies. Right. Oh. Right. Oh yeah. wow. Yeah, that's, that's a long, long list there, Ben. Let me right. tell you. <laughs> I'm just putting that one on top. Yeah. Yeah. John, I don't know what's worse, the fact that there's that topic or the fact that you're the one that brought it up. <laughs> Plus, he's sitting next to me. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so we also have to talk about symptoms because, yeah. you know, when do the symptoms start? How fast do they come on? How strong do they come on? I mean – is someone going to start having symptoms and they could be, you know, regular symptoms that could be anything? Like, for example, someone gets infected and they start feeling tired. Well, feeling tired is nothing new. I mean, you can feel tired for any number of reasons. Uh, a headache, that's as common as it can be. Yeah. Uh, joint pains, that's exceptionally common. Um, you know, th- there's all kinds of the really... Well, that's more real world, too. Now, in game turns, they, yeah. they would tend to know that there's something wrong with them because you said, oh, by the way, you've you've got point of fatigue you can't get rid of. Right, right, yeah. Which is the big, the big hammer hint saying, oh, I must have some sort of disease. Right. And in game terms, it's tough because it's tough as a game master to affect the players because you never talk about the player's health. I mean, think about when you've gamed, the last time you actually talked about, you know, how the players felt physically. So all of a sudden the game master saying, "Oh, you're feeling a little fatigued today," you know that's well, actually considering I just ran a game, I ran a game of one of my friends were the game where they finished climbing a set of stone steps that were cut for Keygag. Oh, big big giveaway! Right. Uh, and they climbed a hundred feet. They gained a hundred feet in altitude on steps that were not designed for human feet. They were a bit out of breath when they finally got to the top. Yeah, but see, <laughs> but, but see that's. But that's a giveaway. That's a giveaway. But but let's say you know the character wakes up, and it, and you tell him, yeah, you're feeling pretty fatigued today, and and your you joints. Well, the trouble is, if you're playing fringe where you say you lost a point of constitution. Oh my god, I got hit by by, by a Meller. Right. You could always introduce it as, well, you wake up and you have a cold. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah. I mean, how many of us wake up and get colds, and then we think, oh, it's just a cold. I'll, I'll pop some medicine. I'll go on with my day. You know, I still got a job to do. I've got meet all these people, i got to shake all these hands in this meeting, and man, I wish I didn't have this cold. Yeah, take some hand sanitizer with me, I'll be fine, yeah. Sure. i gotta go, I got to work at Taco Bell and make all these tacos, yeah. <laughs> or if you're, <laughs> if you're a really clever DM, what you can do is you can, you can convince the players to do some drinking the night before, oh. and then when they wake up the next morning, it's like, yeah, man, you feel like real crap. Mm. It's like, and other people are like, what about me? It's like, no, you seem to handle it pretty well, but, you know... And especially if you roll some dice right beforehand, you know, as, as a game master, you had to, you, you get them to do some drinking, and then you roll some dice the next, you know, when it's the next day, and you go, yeah, yeah, you're feeling pretty rough today. They can just assume mm-hmm. that, you know, you've made that determination as a game master that they're the one that's hungover. You can also say things like, "And Bob, you're still having that problem with bleeding gums." Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just start coming out of nowhere with all kinds of physical ailments, you know, and that the, that they, they, they know that they had before. As long as everybody's got something wrong with them, then it's like, well, okay, then. I don't know what this means, but, you know, I can't kill you for having, you know, uh, an outbreak 
lick of pimples, can I? And Blix, you got a really bad case of gas. Again? <laughs> Again. <laughs> we know is the usual answer. Or Bruce, you know, Bruce comes out of the bathroom and he says, you don't want to go in there right now. <laughs> uh, but the cat runs right in. Right. Yeah. Another thing you can do is you can pull the player aside and you can tell him this is how he's feeling. And if he knows that that kind of disease is in the area, mm-hmm. you know, or it's a, or it's a factor in the game. Then the player can choose to tell the rest of the party or not. You know, like for example, if you're talking about a zombie apocalypse and he starts feeling the symptoms of maybe he thinks he might be turning into a zombie, do you think he's going to tell the other players? Probably not. No, <laughs> because they're going to hack him into pieces. Now yeah. the first thing he's going to do is he's say, "I go over to so and so and nibble on her ear right. and tell her that I've always had a thing for her." I'm going to take a take a, a little bit of a step off of this. You know, we're talking about viruses, but it, it can be bacteria, it could be fungus, it could be a mold. Um, there's all kinds of things that'll make you sick. It could be a prion. Could be a prion. Yeah. Um, that was a really weird stick you had last night. Right? <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite though is a fungus. I, I like fungus because they have these parasitic fungus. And I've just been completely fascinated with them. And they actually can control, uh, at least in insects, they can control their behavior. So they'll infect somebody, or affect an insect rather, and they'll cause this insect to perform some behavior that, that puts them in danger's way. Like one of them affects ants, and it'll, it'll cause these ants to climb to the top of um, grass stalks. And then it, the birds come down and eat them. Because, you know, they got this fresh meal just sitting there waiting to be eaten. So then, of course, the bird eats them. It gets the fungus in it. It poops somewhere and leaves the fungus spores, which helps spread it. So it's possible that you pull the character aside and say, yeah, you've been infected and you don't want to tell anybody else. Matter of fact, you want to infect everyone else that you can because it's a psychological thing. So then the player has to try to infect everybody else in the party. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of devious, and that's gonna that's really going to derail any adventure you're running. But, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're running all flesh must be eaten, and maybe that's a really good way to go. You know, it's just something to think about. I'm just thinking that there have actually been a couple of movies like that where they weren't zombies, but they, for all intents and purposes, were zombies. Mm-hmm. You know, but, but basically when they rarely get them the cure, or it turns out, yes, they're zombies for, for, for three days. Then it, then the disease runs its course, and you're no longer, you're no, no longer a zombie. What was that? I've, it was some movie. They were basically caught in a building. And there was some some pathogen. It turned out, you know, that, that it was a military-created pathogen. It was designed for short-term, um, uh, you know, affecting populations. Was it a recent movie? No, no. This is like done in the eighties or nineties. Okay. Oh. And I remember. And I remember basically, as soon as it ran its course, you 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 basically were you came out and you're just fine. Oh, okay. You know, you're just a short turn zombie, and that that's actually a, a thought you may want to consider. You know, maybe yes, you turn to a zombie, and yes, you eat people. Then a week later, you're better. <laughs> <laughs> so if you got this bad taste of person in your mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're constipated for the next two weeks. <laughs> so another thing we have to think about is if you're if you're a game master and you're going to run this course, can anyone be immune to it? You know, so you have to decide whether there's, mm-hmm. you know, anyone that can be immune to it. And then you also have to figure out if you aren't infected and you're not immune, can you survive it? Like, can a person get better? 
So, or are you a carrier? Or are you a carrier? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that has to be the fact, you know, factor. So, like for example, in George A. Romero's Zombies, no one is immune, and no one survives it. Try to think if there was a zombie movie where that happened. Oh, isn't that the one with the uh, Mila Jovich? Resident Evil. Resident Evil. Oh yeah. Oh, and the Crazies. George A. Romero did Crazies, and there was a, uh, the main character in that was immune. Now there's some. Now there's a novel. I think it's a story out there. I can't remember who wrote it. Because actually, but I played a game. Some did one of my friends did a game based on it, where a zombie virus was released, and it infected everybody. But it only ter- it only activates when you die. Mm. So yes, everyone's going to turn to a zombie when they die. But what about the bite? Would the bite infect them? Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, it's sort of, it's sort of you know, doesn't really make a difference because you're born with the, you know, if you're you're born with the, with the zombie disease. Doesn't matter how you yeah. die. Right. Doesn't, doesn't, but it was, but it did have a limitation of it, it can only affect um, dog size. We're talking like a, a medium-sized dog size and above mammals. If you're smaller than dogs, like, like cats or squirrels, you are unaffected. Huh? So, but every every living mammal bigger than a uh, Labrador, Labrador was infected. So chihuahuas are safe, huh? So everybody owns chihuahuas. Go, going back to the immune thing. I mean, has anybody ever read the book I Am Legend? Yeah, there's the movie, which is a, but uh, in the in the original book, it's it's vampires that are spreading through the society, and one person happened to get bitten by some sort of bat, a vampire bat, we'll say, and had an immunity to it, while the rest of society was collapsing around him, and he is the main character in, in both the Charlton Heston movie and in uh, the Will Smith movie. I, I forget his name in the novel, uh, but he's you know he's immune. Man. Not. And th- and that's based and that's based on the whole. Uh, historical immunity to smallpox by uh, milkmaids who got cowpox on their hands, therefore found themselves immune to smallpox. Yeah, because the, the cowpox was less virulent than the smallpox, but it was similar enough that it was easy for them to survive the cowpox, oh. and then they had a resistance to the well, smallpox. Well, what gave the clue away was that milk, you, you heard their skin is smooth as a milkmaid's. Right. Because they didn't get the pox. They didn't get the pox. Right. <laughs> so let's talk about the various kinds. Like, like, what do you, what do you guys think? Like, we all know virus, so that's that's easy. Yeah. I don't really think it needs to be gone into anymore. Bacteria is kind of tough because bacteria. It's also relatively easy to kill. Yeah, viruses are the ones that can shift and mutate, where antibiotics and other drugs don't work with them after. I mean, bacteria can mutate as well, but I mean. There, I mean, a little bit of bleach and you're all set. You know, maybe not. You're oh all yeah, set. chlorine chlorine bleach uh, kills the AIDS virus, I believe, in 18 seconds. Bacteria can can uh, jump species a lot easier than almost than certainly viruses can because viruses are are getting into the genetic code of the host, so they're very specific. While bacteria, because it simply resides in the host, can as I said, cross species can be carried. It can remain in a uh, uh, in a benign state for long periods of time and then reoccur. Yeah, but I'm thinking pandemics, you know, and like yeah. in previous well, chlor- chlorea. Then, well, well, yeah, Cholera, I mean cholera. I was going to say in, cholera. In previous ages, that's uh, true. Yeah, but with modern medicine, bacteria has a really hard time getting a hold of us. Yeah, but but Blix, there's an awful lot of the world where. They don't have modern medicine, not the kind that we enjoy. Well, that's true. That's, I mean, that's and generally they, why, with the, with the zombie sort of outbreak things, you yeah. usually see them happen in either 
uh, a remote area of a second or first world country or in a third world country and spread rapidly from there because they don't have modern medicine. And we currently have strains of tuberculosis, which is a bacteria that are practically immune to all of our antibiotics. So yeah. it's quite possible to have a bacteria that is pretty much immune to our, you know, any, if it's being, especially if it's being carried person to person as its means of transmission, then, you know, it's going to be really hard to get rid of it because you can't pour uh, massive amounts of bleach into a person to, you know, to cure them. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, bacteria, I mean, bacteria does, you know, maybe I need to like rethink that completely because bacteria really, when we think about all the pandemics that we've had, bacterias have always been at the forefront of all of it. The plague, TB, mm-hmm. which consumption as it's known, um, yeah. like you said, cholera, oh, yeah. Ebola, and le- leprosy is a bacteria. Yes, it is. There's strains of flesh-eating bacteria right now that the only solution is to cut off the limb. That's based off of strep, too. The same thing that gives you strep throat. You just don't want to get it somewhere else. Strep is also kissing cousins, using the, using the term loosely, with syphilis. Okay. <laughs> and syphilis is also kissing cousin to another disease you can get. Yeah, so, so yeah, there, there's a lot of diseases which manifest in different ways. So in, so in game terms, though, what do you got to know? Well, as a GM, you want you want... You, if you go by the rules, you have you know. If you go by the rules, most games have you ha- have the players make a vigor roll, or make a constitution roll, or make a fortitude you know, save. You know, do something to to see if they get infected. You know, and uh, you know if your story is about them getting infected. You know what? Yeah, if you want to just prolong the story, yeah, just say okay, boom, you're all in this area, you all have been exposed to the vector. Guess what? And we're talking about a pandemic, so yeah. it, this isn't just like something that the player has to worry about that he might get. He is in a world of it. It's all around him. It's yeah. everywhere. So he's having to deal with not just the primary part of this, the, the, the disease itself. Mm-hmm. He's having to deal with the secondary, sure. all the crap that comes with it. You know, the panic and the panic, uh, yeah, uh, looting and uh, loss of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And can we talk a little bit about what it would be like for these players if they weren't infected and if they perhaps didn't even know that they were suddenly going to be starring in a pandemic scenario, particularly if it happened to be zombies? I mean, one of the things that I've always wanted to do with my players is get them together and say, all right, we're going to do, you know, a modern game. And, you know, here we go. We're going to start off the campaign. You get everybody running and then you introduce little hints like there are news reports on in the background about some strange behavior that's happening. And then suddenly the report cuts out and, you know, they flip to a commercial. And as the days go by, there are various news blackouts and there's suddenly a shortage of, say, uh, milk at the grocery store. That's just sort of secondary to whatever the prime story is, is, you know, happening around them. How, how would you as a GM cover how the players are going to experience this if it was a pandemic that was sweeping through the area, unbeknownst to them as uh, either player characters or, you know, outside the game as well. They didn't even know they were going to be in a pandemic situation or a zombie apocalypse situation. I'd say my, my player, the people I play with are, are so genre savvy. And also because we have a GM who loves to run zombie games. The second we start having things like people reports of people acting bizarrely, Boom! Zombies are out there someplace. I'm sorry, they would. They would just immediately, you know, flip the fact there's zombies, and at that point, it just becomes a zombie movie. 
you know, at, at that point. Uh, yeah, to, be, to do something like that, you'd have to... I would actually use some red herrings in there, in there. you know. That zombie turns out to be a guy who, who basically got bitten by a rabid uh, raccoon. He's just got rabies. And never got himself treated. Yeah, you know, I, I think the first thing I would do is I would put the players in a situation where they were in a very rural environment. Yeah. I would I would take them out of any kind of big city. I would stick them in the Midwest or somewhere like that um, to where they didn't have good access to news or you know other things. And I would put them in the middle of something that kept them jumping, like. Let's say they were playing mercenaries. I mean, that's a good that's a good guess for any role playing group. Yeah, and I'm gonna put it in a modern setting, and they're playing mercenaries, and there's some quasi military group. I don't know. They're they're looking for a, a cell of terrorists or something. So they're in this little backwater town. No one wants to talk to them, so they're having a hard time getting any information on anything. And I would have guys attacking them from the shadows left and right I would keep them jumping from from foot to foot and I would throw this other stuff in just sort of as if it was just background static you know like yeah. uh, one of the guys said what do you do you're in your room you got a couple hours what do you do and the guy says oh I'm gonna take a shower and watch some TV yeah you're not getting any stations the reception's really crappy I mean it's horrible it's like uh, you honestly you know you're the only station you could get in was some station and it was broadcasting some emergency network or something or maybe even not that blatant but maybe they just they couldn't get any tv stations at all maybe the you know you tell them your satellite dish is probably out or something or 24-hour reruns of family ties right 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 yeah or something like that right so if the player decided to investigate it you know and did some research you know he might find out oh holy crap you know the tv station is doing this on purpose but he would actually have to go out of his way to research that um, uh, sadly, they can ease, if you you have to d- deny them any internet access. Right, internet, and let's say they start to do some research. Well, the internet's down. What do you mean the the internet's down? Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, we lot we we just we got through a satellite uplink, and well, current science, old Billy Bob got in the old truck and ran into you know drove right into the satellite. That's going to take us a week to get some guy from uh, Pepsi Kalula come out here and get realigned. We ain't got no internet right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and, and, and other subtle things, you know, I might say, I might have like a really hard perception role that would get easier as days go on, but the role is to notice that no one's coming into town, that no one new has come into this little rural crap hole town. And at first, it would be a very hard difficulty role because it's not like people pour into this town, but cars do drive in throughout the day. But if you're not looking for that, you wouldn't even notice it. But after about the third or fourth day of this, it might become quite apparent. You might say, mm-hmm. you know, you might look at one of the players and go, have you seen a car come in on that road at all? And then it might, that might clue you, clue you in. So basically what you've done is you've created this apocalypse, but you've isolated this town, which is realistic. Because if all kinds of crazy stuff is going on on big towns on either side of it, you know, traffic would probably shut down. Sure, there'd be roadblocks, and the military would be taking actions to keep people isolated. And right. They may not necessarily wander into this one little podunk town and say, hey, uh, by the way, zombie apocalypse. Right. So by the time that the, the, the players realize what's going on, it's way too late. Yeah. You know, they're in this little pocket that hasn't been affected yet, but 
it's only a matter the, of time. And that's when the the family of refugees shows up, mm. uh, and 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 the mo- and the mother was bitten. Right, they're hiding it. Right, or that's when they start talking about um, getting the heck out of there, and you know they're trying to get supplies and stuff, and they're like. Let's go to the hospital and see what we can get. And it turns out the hospital has just exploded into a full zombie outbreak because someone infected two days ago had been taken in there. Mm -hmm. And in those two days, the infection spread throughout the hospital and it's starting to pour out into the the neighboring areas. So, I mean, that's a good way to, to, to get them, you know, get them involved, get them in the middle of all this without them even knowing it, but still giving them a chance I don't know if they're like John's group and they're really, really, really paranoid about zombie uh, apocalypse. They could figure it out ahead of time. Yeah. And then the question becomes: I mean, you're now you're immersed in this apocalypse, and as a GM, what do you do with the group? And one of one of my favorite things to do with a group like that is to make them even further isolated. And yes, they're going to encounter these zombies, whether they're you know the sort of magical undead zombies or a more realistic infected. Um, you know, 28 days later type of zombie or something. They'll encounter them, but after a while, killing zombies sort of gets a little bit old. What most really good zombie yarns are about is how everybody who's still living interacts with each other and the choices that they make that affects everybody else. So that's when you, you know, you have uh, them hold up somewhere near the hospital. They still need to get these supplies because somebody's injured. And then uh, Jim, the NPC, decides that it'd be a really, really good idea to go uh, try and hunt for some food and accidentally leaves the door open. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with it when he gets back with a deer? You know, do you discipline him? Who's in charge here? And it's it's sort of the human drama that's going to come up with uh, any sort of major pandemic like that. Right. Yeah. Because what's happened is you, you've you've pulled away man's security blanket, mm-hmm. and now these groups have to form their own security, their own. Um, you know, web of trust and web of security. They can't rely on uh, Big Brother to take care of them. So, like, like for example, you know, you and I have a disagreement. Uh, we're not going to start shooting at each other because, you know, we know that eventually the law will get involved and we'll, you know, we'll we could eventually go to court and go to jail and and all that kind of stuff. But you take away that that blanket of security, mm-hmm. and then it's the toughest man. Or the you know the the quickest person or the sneakiest person can get ahead, and even make it simpler. Other problems like you're on a you're on that mercenary mission that you were describing earlier, Blake. And if this was a non-pandemic scenario, you know your gun misfires and and it jams and you can't fix it in the field. Well, that's okay. You know when you get back to headquarters, you'll get a new one. But this time you're not going back to headquarters, and there won't be any new guns unless you can find one somewhere else. So somebody doing something like accidentally dropping a weapon or you know injuring another party member in a fist fight, that can turn real serious, real fast. Yeah, especially if it's one of those uh, plagues where you're already infected. You just haven't shown any symptoms yet. You right. Know, and how do you show symptoms? Get hurt really bad. Right. <laughs> or, or, you know, you got you got some dummy who was uh, burning through his ammo way too fast. And he's not just burning through his ammo – because his ammo is everybody's ammo, you know. He's he's burning through the ammo way too fast. Or, like in the the show The Walking Dead, where where they're attracted to gunfire, you know, you get some idiot who wants to shoot at every threat instead of, you know, trying to take them out physically and quietly. You fire a gun, and you're going to summon ten more zombies to that zombie's funeral. Yeah, and make it even more interesting. That idiot happens to be the doctor. Right, right. So how do you right? What do you do with him? 
you don't want to shoot him. You know, you, you need everybody that you can get that's of, of any value. Don't you understand? Do no harm, what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the things um, we haven't touched on yet uh, before we get, like, completely headlong into the zombie was um, was quarantine. How do you control the infected situation? There is that one movie with Dustin Hoffman. I think it's called Quarantine. Uh, could be. I haven't... I think I've seen it, Outbreak. but I can't remember. Outbreak. 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 Oh, that one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we're basically, uh, it's the, yeah. They were planning to do a, I wasn't quite sure if it was an atomic bomb or at least they no, a fuel air explosive. Fuel air. They were planning to burn the city, burn yes. the town, you know, and everyone inside of it. Yeah, uh, you know. To control, to control the uh, spread of the, of, the, of, the, of the disease. Yeah, I thought about that and I was like, basically the first question came to mind though was, is how much time does the government have? Like, is this, you know, is are, are we talking like some kind of infection that's spreading and is going to be almost out of control within a few days? Or are we talking about something that, you know, will take some time? Like, how fast does this infection work? Right. And how long are you infected before you actually show symptoms? They have to plot out, you know, how far is the wave spread out with people wandering off to the jobs or hopping onto an airplane to go on vacation in London. I was going to say, they have to find out, okay... As soon as we know that this is going on, this infection, this this pandemic, they shut down all major hubs of transportation, so they don't have people carrying it overseas and whatnot. Right. I mean, like, 28 Days Later is a perfect example of what a fast-acting disease is like. They're actually less nasty than, than the long-term ones. You know, if... They burn you get, up. Yeah, if you get infected and you show symptoms right away... Yeah, it's going to burn itself out. It's going to be easier to contain. You know, you're not going to have any questions about whether this, you know, you've got an infected society or not. You know, and you know exactly where they are. Yeah, The guy bleeding from the eyes, yeah. Right. Ebola, that's why Ebola doesn't go much more than a village. Right. When it breaks out, it takes out a village. But that's about as much as it can can do because it's so virulent. It kills its hosts long before they actually can get someplace to transmit the disease. Right. It's, It's not... From a disease standpoint, it's not a very successful disease. Yeah. But I think Outbreak was about actually a successful Ebola. Yeah. That's right. It was a successful Ebola, and they were trying to contain it. It was it was airborne, and it and it had a couple days couple days of real incubation period, yeah. which would be exceptionally bad. That actually, I don't know if any of you guys know that, but that happened um, in Virginia, at, and rest in Virginia. It fortunately was um, contained only within monkeys, but... For the first time ever, a strain of Ebola went airborne and infected all of oh. the primates facility. But it never jumped the people. Yeah, yeah. So things like that can and do happen. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is big. Yeah, as a matter of fact, most of uh, the CDC generally doesn't talk about if they talk about when. Yeah, of course. If you want to talk about, you know, besides zombies, the other really virulent and passed by air, Andromeda. Oh yeah, yeah, the Andromeda strain. There was, you know, there was something that basically turned out that the standard practice of nuking the site was the, would have been the absolutely wrong thing to do. <laughs> you know, you, you you don't nuke you don't nuke the site for, uh, with Andromeda. You sort of like you you flood it, and I think was it uh, pure oxygen? No, not pure oxygen. Saline, uh, highly alkaline or highly acidic areas, and that would kill it off. Yeah, as, as a matter of fact, with uh, the, um, the the plague I came up with uh, for the for the book I'm writing, um, 
I gave it some time. It takes a little time for it to take effect, and the society actually has time to get control of it because I, I it wasn't doing a zombie apocalypse. I was I was doing something that I wanted to have zombies in, and I wanted them to potentially be a nasty threat for a while, but I didn't want it to be something that would become apocalyptic. So like I allowed some people – I made it so that there was a portion of society, about a third of society is immune to it or can survive it. So if it infects you, you have about a 30% chance of living and then you know getting over it. Um, so, so you can have survivors for one. For two, uh, I made it easily spreadable, which that's what made it nasty. That's kind of what made it nasty. But it took – it takes like a good solid um, 24 to 48 hours depending on the person for it to actually – for you to actually start doing anything about it. So for the, 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 the infection to actually affect you to the point to where you're affecting everyone else. So they have some time. It's, it doesn't spread super fast. But it's also not really slow so that they can infect a bunch of people. And basically what they do is they, they figure out where it is. They quarantine that area and they burn it down. The, the, uh, there was a TV series. Actually, they tried to do a sequel to it. I don't know if it ever succeeded past first season. But it was, it was out during the 70s called The, the Survivors. Mm. And it, basically, it's, it's, it, the premise was a, a, uh, a Asian, scient- uh, this, uh, Asian scientist accidentally drops a vial of stuff. And then he goes on a world tour. And it looks like the incubation period is about a week. Hmm. So he was basically able to go to all the major civilization centers around the world in a week. And more or less spread the disease across Europe, across Asia, parts of Africa, United States. I don't know if he ever got to Australia, though. Hmm. But he got pretty much everywhere. And then the, the, story, the, the story deals with the uh, plague. Actually, the, 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 the series... The actual plague is the very first show. Then after that, it's about surviving because nine tenths of the population are gone. Hmm. So the next three year, next three seasons is about surviving in that in that post pandemic uh, world where everything's being killed off. Right. Uh, then there's also uh, you know more recent is uh, Twelve Monkeys. Yeah, with, with the exact same vector. Yeah. A, a scientist carrying disease around the world, <laughs> which is possibly the, the best. The best, you know. See, if you if you believe what they do in the movies, that's the best way to transferring vectors is go from airport to airport to airport. Yeah, I was gonna say as long as it's under twelve ounces. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Or you have it a plat was it given and you gotta have it in a plastic baggie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going to bring up about pandemics of uh, the fringe worthy setting. Rogue 417, that's another one. Um, basically, a in the Middle East in the 90s, a bioengineered virus, basically bad janitorial duty, ends up with this virus just going throughout the world, and it's a post-apocalyptic type setting is what Rogue 417 is. Yeah. I, I, I tend to think the larger the government, the more likely a scenario like a global outbreak is. Uh, simply because there are so many cogs in that machine that have to be stopped to prevent it. So let's, hey, let's talk about our favorite, let's go into it. Let's talk about our favorite infection. Let's get oh, into the zombies. Zombies. So I don't know, what do you, I guess the, the first thing you have to determine is what type of zombie we're talking about. Sure. Fast zombie, slow zombie, sort of intelligent zombie, totally brain dead zombie, able to open doors, 
<laughs> Budon zombies, magic zombies. If you're saying that the, that the zombies are the result of some kind of a infection of any kind, then there's no reason why you can't have all of them. Uh, because you know, there'd be some that would be affected more and, and, and cause more damage to them, and they would be your slow zombies. And then you have the ones that are more mentally affected, but physically they're fine, and those are your fast zombies. So it doesn't have to be just one type, as long as we're talking about all the things that fall within the umbrella of an, a of a infectious type zombie. You could say that when zombies are first infected, you know, they're kind of like the quick fast zombies, but as the, the disease progresses, as they rot, as they rot, they become the slow uh, creeping zombies. That's sort of how it works in, uh, in my world, in the Arrhenius setting. They, they're never exactly fast, but the fresher zombies are faster, still not as fast as a regular person. And then over time, as they, you know, decay and become basically animated skeletons with bits of sinew and muscle. That's all that's left. They can barely move. Yeah, and I think we should distinguish between zombies and animated skeletons. Animated skeletons are just that animated. Yeah. You know, uh, though, though the same process of making a uh, uh, an animated skeleton can also make you a magic zombie, too. So, yeah. But of course, magic zombies are not contagious, so we're not even worried about those. Well, I mean, we can also get into more semantics because zombies are usually just shambling dead. Now, if you're looking for ones undead that eat some part of, you know, flat brains, those are more, if you want to get into it, ghouls. But they've yeah. been, those yeah. ghouls have been lumped into the whole zombie ages as of late, with zombies being the big pop culture thing that it's become. Uh, right. But ghouls are not, well, it really depends on your definition of ghouls. Sometimes ghouls are people who just eat the dead. You know, in some cases, they're a supernatural creature that eat people. But if but if we're doing something, that we're talking about pandemics, and we're talking about, you know, in, infecting areas, the zombies have to attack people. Yeah, and they have to be infectious. Right, and they have to be infectious. Otherwise, they're not, they're not pandemical yeah. zombies, so... So they're, they're, they're talking about a disease. So technically, the zombies are probably even not dead. They may just be, you know, they've just been highly infected, and then, like you said, their lower brain, they're basically reduced down to the reptilian portion of the brain. Yeah, but I'm also I'm still fine with you know talking about the supernatural ones. Yeah, I mean they can be undead, like um, the the game Red Dead Redemption. Uh, one of the weapons you can use against zombies is holy water, which mm -hmm. is which is kind of interesting. Um, I never had thought about having any kind of campaign where holy water would affect zombies, but hey, if there are the un you know the unholy undead, yeah. why not? Yeah, you know, and then you have the the scientific approach, like the Walking Dead are taking, where it's uh, a disease um, um, that basically like, takes over the brainstem after a person has died, and sort of takes care of reanimating the corpse. There's still a person shambling around out there, but they're no longer themselves, so it's still highly contagious and infectious, but it's not magic. Yeah, like I said, and, and then there's the. Uh... I, I want to say some of the Romero, because remember the first some of the really Romeros, they were all they, they they were coming out of the of the graves. No, uh, somewhere in, in, the very first one they came out they were coming out of graves. Oh yeah, okay, they were they were they were. So they would be more magical than anything else. Because to be honest, you've been buried in the ground for a while, and now you're coming out of the ground. That's magic. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, you know. he never. That's the beauty of of the early Romero stuff. He never said what the vector was or, or what, 
mm-hmm. what the disease was. He left it purposely ambiguous. Yep. Like one of the things that was mentioned as a possibility was that it was the apocalypse and that hell had filled up and yeah. there were no more room for the dead. Yeah. So when people died, they couldn't go anywhere, so they stayed here. So in that case, there's no vector. You die, you become a zombie. Right. <laughs> you know, so... Because you've been left behind. Right. And that's... I mean... <laughs> And and that's I I'm completely fine with that. That's a cool way to go. Right, that's my favorite one. He also said that uh, that they did not infect others. The uh, people who died as a result of zombie bites were merely dying as a result of being coming infected with all kinds of nasty stuff that was growing inside of an undead body. Sure. But it was really just it was just really just the nasty stuff that can grow on human flesh. The wound became septic, the person died, then they come back because everybody who dies comes back. But you know, it, it's it's funny you say that because like, if you think back to all those movies, what is the one thing you never see happen when somebody gets a bite? You never see them hooked up to an IV full of, you know, antibiotics or anything like that. They just, they put a, they put a cold rag on their forehead and they wrap the wound. That's all they ever really do for them. No sulfur drugs, no, no antibiotics, right. no neosporin. So... so Hell, so, if it's infectious, Neosporin will probably take care of it. So yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> this, this, the zombie bite doesn't turn them into a zombie. It's just a nasty, super, super nasty infection yeah. that they never treat properly. And of course the person dies from it. And that could be a real fun way to run a campaign, too, is you can let your players think there's an infection vector when in reality people are just dying and coming back. And it doesn't matter what you do. You know, if it, whether it's a gunshot wound or whether uh, you get bitten by a zombie when you die, if the brain's not destroyed, say, you're going to come back. And see how long it takes them to figure that out. Right. And and also, if somebody gets bitten and one of the characters is a doctor and he, they happen to be in a hospital, you know, and he treats the guy properly with some really strong antibiotics and the guy lives. And you're like, oh, well, look at that. <laughs> and then he trips down, trips down the stairs. Breaks, breaks his neck, his neck comes back as a comes zombie. Like a zombie yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's oh, a lot of swearing going on there. He's like, son of a... <laughs> yeah, and, and half the party that are standing around missing an arm or a foot or something like that because of the amputation method of stopping the infection spread right. are going, oh, you're kidding me. Right, I just needed a bag. Of, I just needed an IV. Or he turns out, hey, you know what? Tap, tap, tap. Penicillin still works in this stuff. Right. <laughs> Yeah, you eat some moldy bread, you'll be okay. Have a little trip, come back, you know. <laughs> so, so for zombies, I mean, so we're talking about this now. You know, let's just go through the let's go through the group, and we'll start. Ooh. We can start with Ben. Um, you know, how do you like your vector to work? I mean, do you do you like the idea of the bite not actually, you know, turning someone into a zombie, or or what, how do you, how do you like your zombies to work? I like my zombies to be the, the standard um, one bite and you're dead, and that is the infectious vector. Whether it's you know bodily fluids, so saliva, blood, what have you, which could also mean that if you have an open wound on your arm and you're you know running around hitting zombies with a blunt object and some blood gets into your wound, you could be in trouble as well. Uh, that's that's my preferred zombie infection vector. So so what do you think, Bruce? What do you, what is your zombie favorite? Well. Uh, as I said, I prefer the necromatic zombie, the zombie that you become simply because everybody becomes a zombie if they die. And uh, there, there's uh, approximately 
155,000 people who die worldwide every day. And if you come back from the dead and you're really dead, it's really hard to destroy you, especially if you've got some massive homicidal impulse. And every time you kill somebody, there's more zombies. And then they create it, – it, it's that whole multiplying effect. Now, uh, you know, if they look like everybody else, then there's not going to be that much blood. Uh, if, if they're coming back, if they're literally coming out of the ground as some kind of uh, uh, reverse regenerating or just decomposing you know, heap, then yes, okay, the, the police are going to be able to find that, corner them off, and get rid of them. But if they really look like everybody else, except they just got, you know, someone managed to bash their head or snap their neck or, or, or just cause them enough damage to stop their heart, and they come back, then you're going to have an awful lot of people that just are going to surprise you when they attack you. And you're not going to be able to defend against them because everything that you think would be able to stop somebody is not going to stop them. And then as soon as they kill you, then all of a sudden, bam, you're back up attacking more people and on and on. If you give them any kind of intelligence, then they can use tools and weapons against more people. More people die, more zombies. So it's quite possible, and this is going to be coming from all different directions. It won't be able to be contained because there's no one place where it's happening. So all the defenses that the government would have to come up with wouldn't work. So they'd end up literally, the only real solution for the government would be to pull back and try to create safe havens. Meanwhile, every place else is turning into zombies. Right. Cool. What about, hey, Trav, what's up? Uh, I would I, I would do more of the supernatural, too. I, I'm, I'm more used to that. I haven't run any type of game where I've had any type of disease-based zombies. But yeah, I would think more the the supernatural. Now, by I would say mostly if the zombie bites you or claws you, somehow breaks your skin and has the the whatever it is that is causing it breaks the skin and gets in your bloodstream, yeah, then it would incubate and then the symptoms would form and then you would end up becoming that. That would be the way I usually run it, which means I'd use the whole trope, you know, taking out the head, you know. Mm-hmm. That That's just... Trav in, Excuse me? I said, Trav, in uh, Richard Taholka's original Bureau 13 campaign, when the IDA Explorers first came to the prime platform where the Bureau 13 uh, world is, it was yeah. covered with zombies. And the, one of the portals went to uh, uh, Monroeville, a mall next to a Monroeville, which is where they filmed the original uh, Dawn of the Dead. Oh, okay, yeah, near Pittsburgh, yeah, yeah. I've, right, I've yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in that particular uh, campaign, uh, being an undead zombie, because you weren't intelligent, meant that the portal didn't stop you from going through it. Oh! Oh, that's... Be like, so zombies are fringeworthy. Basically, every animal was fringeworthy in those days. You just simply had to find the portal and go through it. Ah, oh, but that's not the case uh, anymore. No, no. Yeah, anymore, an animal that's not fringeworthy uh, has to be brought through by a fringeworthy person. So, okay, Mister Zombie, hold my hand. Hold your friend's hands. We're gonna go through, go to the portal. No, and it's funny. Line. It's funny, Bruce. I talked about this with Eric, my co-host, and he asked that if you become a zombie and you're fringeworthy, do you keep your fringeworthiness? And the, and uh, and that would all depend, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. See, I, again, I was like, ah, I'm not sure on that one, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just depends on the effect of the transformative aspect of becoming a zombie. If, yeah. if it doesn't 
fact that energy signature that is fringeworthiness, then yes, you're a fringeworthy zombie. I say if you turn to a zombie, and it's a fairly quick transformation, you got 10 minutes to get through that portal. Then you can't get through anymore. Because you you were a fringeworthy, uh, something that a fringeworthy was touching intimately for a very long time. And now you now Yourself. You're, yeah, yeah, yourself. And now you're no longer, you're, you're dead. You got 10 minutes to get to the portal. Mm, so, portal. Yeah. Yeah but, what, yeah, but what's his motivation? <laughs> his friend running through the dang thing. <laughs> he knows that through that portal is billions upon billions of more brains. Yeah. <laughs> brains. Right. <laughs> he said millions and millions of brains. Yeah. Just wants to try different flavors on different earths. Yeah. <laughs> Want slug brain? Wow! Yeah, don't, John, don't. What? (laughs) Brains? Oh, I like brains. They're tasty. (laughs) (laughs) You gotta let them rot for a while first. (laughs) Hey, hey, Trav! I, I think, I think you finally found a solution to the slark fear response. (laughs) Turn them into zombies. Oh wow! Zombie slugs. Then, then they're not afraid of anything anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah true. Yeah, <laughs> I will not be bringing that up there. No. <laughs> so, so, um, but John, did you want to? Well, I mean, I, I, I've, I've been actually been playing in a, an infectious zombie uh, game for a while. Like my friends, he's been trying to design his own zombie game. Uh, he set rules for a zombie game, but it's been it was the infectious style. We were, you know. We were, we in fact, I was my character was on the we were had adventure we called the blood boat. We we're on a, a cruise, and the zombies break out on the cruise, and we take it from there. And it's been an interesting, you know, interesting. We have multiple kinds of zombies. We have the uh, brain zombie. We also have the zombies with the glowing eyes who are in t- who have retained all their intelligence. And but they're quite dead. Yes, they're all they're all well. No, actually, I think they're not dead. For best we can tell. They're zombies. You, if you die, you die. But if you but if you get infected, you turn into a zombie. So so in this case, you don't have to shoot their heads. You just gotta shoot them a lot to take them down. <laughs> but I was just thinking another kind of zombie that you could have that is not that's te- 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 technological, but not disease based. That is, let's skip forward uh, one or two technical advantages, and you have direct neural interfaces. You have people who are different kind of virus, a neural virus, over the over you know through their direct neural interfaces into their brains. They've been jacked been jacked by, a, a, they're 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 cyber cyber zombies, right? Yeah, or, okay for them. Yeah. Or in in another vein, you could have you could have nano zombies. Yeah. You get, you know, oh yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's actually pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, those two are interesting. Yeah, nano zombies. So they're only about that big. I'm making mm-hmm. just put put your fingers together, really tiny, close together. They're nano zombies. Freeze! 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 Don't worry, they don't eat much. Yeah, just a little. Well, just not, a, just not a one neuron. Of them. Just a neuron. Of course, there's t- two trillion of them. So. <laughs> right, so <laughs> that might suck a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the. Um, like I, I, I was talking about it before the 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 idea of the fungal zombie. I really like that. I, I, I'm, I'm running with that on one of the projects I'm working on, where it's 
you know this this parasitic fungus that basically eats away at the uh, the prefrontal cortex, so you lose all your reasoning, right. and it uh, it also uh, causes you to become more aggressive because the more aggressive you are, the more likely you're to interact with other people, the more likely you are to spread the spores. So it goes to that one portion of the brain that also controls emotions. Then yeah, they've got they've got in the uh, in the old S three TSR module expedition to the barrier peaks. They got some something called a yellow musk creeper. It's a plant, and if the plant gets you in its clutches and consumes you. You become a yellow musk creeper zombie. Basically, your 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 type turns to plant. You have no reason capability, and you just sort of shamble and you protect the plant. You end up becoming a drone of this rather intelligent plant that you know once the body come they they kill you and then throw the body in there and it feeds on it, it puts a spore in and yeah that that that's been around in D and D for let's see S three probably came out. Early '80s, I believe that module came out. I'd have to look it up. Yeah, no, I love that module. One of my favorite modules. Yeah, and so they have those. So yeah, that's another zombie. I just I like that zombie. I think it's um, it's just a different than usual. You know, it's a different than usual yeah. take. Um, yeah, actually, on that one take, there is the infamous Japanese uh, movie. The, the Japanese tells Matango. But in but the, uh, the American translation is Attack of the Mushroom People. Oh and, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it's and it's a, it's a, it's a, it is kind of a spooky little movie. You know? but, but, but what's beautiful about this is is that this isn't completely without merit. I mean, this is yeah. something that is seen in nature on some degree. Yeah. And it, and it wouldn't take nature to go too far to actually make this real. Now, my zombies can be killed the way you kill anything. So, um, you yeah, just shoot them enough. You, yeah, just shoot them. Up. Now, of course, they don't feel pain as much, and um, as the the fungus starts to take over their whole body because it it starts to, to grow all over them and consume them, they become more shambly throughout time. They also they also become more. So, Blix essentially they die of blood loss. It, essentially, yeah, they die of blood loss. They die of hunger because they don't really eat anymore. Um, like they don't eat brains, they don't eat people. They just attack people. They're just very aggressive because they attack you. They expose you to spores. You become one of them. You attack other people. You spread out more spores. Um, so it's kind of the twenty-eight days later uh, scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eventually, if if you could if you could quarantine within a month, they're all gone. Yeah, within a month, they're all gone. They'll they'll all starve to death. But they don't generally stay too contained. But that was – I, I kind of sort of needed that because I didn't want to – again, like I said before, I didn't want to do a zombie apocalypse. Yeah. I wanted to have zombies but not have it apocalyptic. Sure. So I, I put in a burnout factor on them. So yeah, so that, that's different kinds of zombies. Why? Here's a good question. This is this is one that um, a couple of uh, types of zombie genres or, or people – writers have tried to to address. But you know they really haven't in my opinion. Uh, they did a little bit in The Walking Dead. But like, why don't a zombie? Why don't a zombies attack each other? Well, in my world, they they only attack warm-blooded creatures, so they don't attack fish, they don't attack lizards, but they attack you know just about anything else that they come across. So they have like some kind of like heat type vision where they can see or sense it. Yeah, they just that's that's the prey that they're sensitive to. Or I haven't revealed the reason that they've all become zombies yet. Uh, but for that reason, that's that's one of the things that they're. They're attracted to. 
making, you know, sense at warm-blooded creatures. So it doesn't matter if it's a mouse or a bird or a person or a dragon. They'll do their best to take a bite out of it. So it's safe to say that they're not warm-blooded? No. Okay. They're dead. In the novelization of uh, Dawn of the Dead, uh, they had a zombie girl who went over and grabbed uh, uh, an arm of of another zombie and bit it. And as soon as she felt, see that it was cold and it wasn't warm like, like, like flesh is supposed to be, she immediately dropped it and wandered off in another direction. Oh, so they would only eat fresh bodies in that case. Right. Yeah, I would say for like the, the magical based zombie, as far as why they don't attack their own, the body is transformed into something that no longer has blood. Maybe it's ichor, or maybe it's just you know undead energy. And so they go, okay, those three over there shambling, no, they don't have what we want. Go after people running. Maybe it, it's something transformative, and it's like, you know, uh, like forces oppose. You know, they don't go after them, that impulse to eat. In The Walking Dead, uh, they suggested that they could smell the, uh, the rot of themselves. And therefore, anybody who smelled like them would not be attacked. And they used that as the premise for uh, one, uh, a foray into the town where it was filled with zombies. By rubbing themselves with dead body parts beforehand, they were given a, a limited immunity until all of a sudden there was a cloudburst and it got washed away. Oh. And and with my um like with my uh, my fungus ones. They they infect people with the spores. It's actually an inhaled infection. You don't get you don't get infected if you get bit. You probably get infected because you scream and you deep take in a deep breath of you know the, the spores. Um, but that's why they don't attack each other because you know if if they won't attack anything else, it's putting off spores. I created a um, sort of as a, a half joke a um, creature for Pathfinder called the disgruntled zombie. Um, and he doesn't like to attack anybody, or she doesn't like to attack anybody. It's disgruntlement is basically a spell that you can cast on other people's magically created zombies, uh, which turns them into um, apathetic zombies who complain all the time and don't like to do any work and certainly won't attack anybody, whether they're a zombie or not. And <laughs> they're the bane of necromancers everywhere. <laughs> so they just kind of they just kind of bitch and moan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, one of the well, questions. Zombies. Yeah. Exactly. One of the quotes from him is, uh, move this coffin, build that wall, dispose of these prisoners. Man, it never ends. All I want is a week off, or I swear I'm going to freak. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why necromancers use undeads, because they don't form unions. You don't have to really exactly. beat them. You know? Yeah. And then Until you got these guys them. want a, a brain break, and you're like, oh, great. <laughs> Next thing you know, they're going to want benefit. Wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of a different way of turning them. You're not really turning them or destroying them. You're just making them useless. <laughs> Exactly. They're great at parties because they love to drink, mm. but other than that, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the one with no, with, no, with no lower jaw or tongue can't drink very well. Like, <laughs> right. Straws. <laughs> or straws. <laughs> well, if you got no lower, if you got this right here, I'm touching it underneath my jaw, if that's right. missing, so, it so, just goes right through. It's a small funnel. Yeah, a small funnel. Just lean back and sh- or, 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 or a siphon. Right. You run it down your throat and you, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. With a little pump. Uh, Lucky you, Blix. You actually get the visual this time. Right. <laughs> so, 
how stupid are zombies? I mean, how stupid do you keep them? Like, can they open doors? Can they can they use weapons at all? Mine are completely stupid. They can't open doors. They can't use weapons. They can't climb ladders. They can't figure out how to climb a tree, um, which is why a lot of folks have built up settlements where everybody lives on the second floor. You know, I mean, if, if they can't climb a ladder, you're pretty much safe if you're on the second floor. You may not be able to get down to food, but... Use a rope ladder. Just pull it back up and it's even better. Actually, regular ladders work really well because you can also use them to go between second floors. Yeah. Well, that works really great until you attract enough zombies, and then they just push your house over. Exactly. They also have an ability called Moan, which attracts other zombies up to a mile away, who start moaning to attract other zombies up to a mile away. Yeah. Turn into a nasty. So, in other words, climbing up a tree and just waiting for them to leave is not a good strategy. Correct. Well, because the zombies... They, they 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 have no you know if we're gonna go the Pathfinder D twenty route they have no con score which means they don't get tired right they can right. do something literally forever until they are or as we say in our campaign yeah undead you're not killing them you're just making them re dead once they are made re dead then they're not gonna do anything but yeah they'll they'll just keep walking and shambling or they'll just stand there and wait. Because after a while, they know you're going to get tired. If you're up in that tree, you're going to have to fall asleep sooner or later, which there's a good chance you're going to fall out of the tree and become munch. Oh, yeah. So, so is there anything else we want to talk about? I mean, I think we covered. Yeah, I think we've touched upon pretty much all the different types. Uh, the, the bringing in the cyber and the nano zombies was a good ploy mm-hmm. there, boys. I mean, those didn't cross my mind at all. Uh, well, wait a minute. Did we touch on smart zombies? I mean, let's be honest. What happens if the zombies can retain their their intelligence and their memories? Oh man, you're really effed. Yeah, yeah. You, yes. you, you have to make them the special zombie. Yeah, I, I think that's a bad idea. Unless yeah. you're gonna have like like you said, like one or two of them. There's there's like one zombie. Like I think what was it, Bub or Bob? Maybe it was Bob in uh, Day of the Dead. Hmm. It was he, Bub. Bub. Okay, Bob. so they trained him how to use a gun or something, or they they actually he was actually able to. Yeah, yes, they trained him how to use a gun at the end of the movie. Which was really bright. I mean, training a zombie to use a gun, that's fantastic use of that. <laughs> yeah. My, fr- my friend's zombie well, game. Well, if, if you're trying to create super soldiers, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Wasn't that universal soldier? They, they reanimated yeah. soldiers and put some stuff on them, and yeah. It's also, they did, didn't yeah. they do that with, with police officers, too? <laughs> I, Robocop? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> yeah. I th- but my my friend, he, he basically he has smart zombies, but they also have one extra ability: uh, they can control other zombies, which then becomes a bigger problem. Oh yeah, man. organized yeah, say, zombies. Now you've got zombie unions. Yes. Yeah, one smart zombie and a bunch of uh, lesser, dumber zombies. Yeah, that that that's. Yeah, he can do well. I, we were we were discussing one time. Yes, he was standing there. Telling, his name was Bob too. Uh-huh. Uh, but they were standing there, and he's calling his zombie minions together. And we will strike. Raise your weapons, and and, and of course in the description you see all sorts of weapons, and then you see a plunger. And it's, uh-huh. it, it always got to be at least one plunger in that bunch. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, there is one thing that I, that I think we should touch on real quick. If you're running a zombie thing, are you running an apocalypse? And what is the end game? I mean, what what is the ultimate goal? Can can the characters ever win? Can they can can the world ever get back to where it was? Or is this really just? Um, are you really just running the clock down on the characters? I mean, eventually, are the characters all going to succumb? 
Is there a cure? Is there a cure? Can can they win? I think that if you're going to do that, I mean, that's that's really great for a short campaign, but it really kills the mood in a long campaign if everybody's just dying off left and right, and all you yeah. have left at the end are the characters boarded up in a room starving to death. That 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 to me doesn't make much of a, a fun campaign. I mean, there's there's some great one-offs and one-shots where you're in a zombie world like that, and everybody's going to die by the end. But campaign style, not so much. I think there needs to be a way where either they can find a cure or find a place where they can exist with lots of other people. You know, if you're running an apocalyptic adventure or, or campaign, it's got to be a short-run one because, you're right, eventually everyone's going to get tired of it. Um, oh, look, more zombies. Right, yeah. And, and even if you do play up the other aspects of getting along and everything, we all know when you're playing a role-playing game, that's eventually what kills the game, is if it doesn't have a whole lot of places you can go. Right. Uh, which right. is why some of the specialized games don't really last that long, because there's not a whole lot you can do with them. You do what the game was made to do, and then you get tired of doing that, and there's really not much else to do. Yeah. Um, where this works good, though, I mean, with, you can get away with this with Fringeworthy, because you can go into a world that is an apocalypse, and you can get away from it. Yeah, so you can have you can have both. And 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 if you know about, it, you also can get cured if it's a disease. <laughs> right, or or maybe you can bring that advanced technology from another world back to that world and actually save it where they couldn't have saved themselves. The way I kind of get around it in my campaign setting is that my setting actually starts about a hundred years after the initial apocalypse, and zombies have just kind of become a fact of life, like a. Annual flooding, or something along those lines, and the campaign opens up with a cure just having been found. And didn't you say not everybody's? Uh, if I remember correctly, not everyone can get the disease. Only humans can can turn into zombies. Non-humans, because it's the Pathfinder um, world, can get infected and die. But it's not 100 percent for non-humans. They will never reanimate. Yeah. Right. So that so basically that creates stop gaps because if the zombie plague is spreading through an area and it hits an orc village, there's a good chance it'll stop at the orc village. Yeah. Yeah, or that'll yeah, they'll wipe the orc village out and there it won't continue the vector. And some of the zombies are gonna get wiped out in the process. Right. Yeah. And for other other games like Bureau thirteen, it'd be more like stopping the, the thing from even starting at that point. You you find the, the you you run it you find the you find the uh parasol corporations busy working on something and you you stop them from de- from de- from deploying that zombie, you know you still have some zombies, some test zombies for them to run into, but they you know do that. Uh, I'm thinking with the with um, uh, hardware hinterland, uh, uh, at you know, it's a great place for zombies. You know, one of the islands got zombies out. No one goes there. You know, you die, you go there. Why? There's zombies in that island. Right. They can't swim. <laughs> so you could have that, but it would it would stay localized. Yeah, stay localized. Yeah. Right. You know, or I'm thinking uh, Incursion, because Incursion technically takes place in the Bureau 13 universe. Yeah, you can have alien zombies to deal with. Right. The spaceship that's full of, you know, spaceship, the derelict spaceship that's full of zombies waiting for someone to defrost them. You can do that on FTL 2448 too. So. Yeah. Well, no, 24 doesn't have zombies. It'd be more biological zombies in 2448. Yeah, but still. You'd have... Same thing, Connor. You could do yeah. the same. Yeah. Though technically yeah. in Incursion, they could be magical zombies. Right. Yeah. Right. Now, on the long term basis, uh, zombies are going to become essentially an environmental danger. Yeah. So, uh, and as an example of a world in which they've come to terms with zombies, uh, the book uh, Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies. 
story. Oh, yeah. The story's not about zombies. I haven't read it. Well, the, it's it's a class struggle story. It's probably, you know, and it just happens to be that zombies are roaming the countryside and causing problems. And so every every spring, more zombies come creeping out of graveyards and various unmarked graves from all the hundreds of thousands and millions of of uh, British uh, subjects who died over the millennia. So it's just it's an ongoing problem. They can't get rid of it, but they they they've learned how to deal with it. So they do. They just send the army out after them. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that kind of comes back to the heart of any really good zombie story. Is that what you said? The zombies are an environmental factor. It's a it's part of the environment within the story takes place. It's something that the characters have to deal with. But it, it if it's the main part of the story, if it takes over, then it no longer becomes a fun campaign. You're just slogging through zombies. Which which ties into our theme very well, you know. It's we treat it like it like we do with all the other disasters. It's part of the background and something you have to deal with, but it's not yeah. the actual story. Yeah, it's something you might be able to nip in the bud if you're playing Bureau Thirteen, or something you have to deal with if you're like in Fringeworthy or Incursion or one of the other games. You know, uh, it's it's it's, it's yeah. It, Zombies are, you know, z- you know, zombies are something you might be able to turn to your own advantage too. You never know. You had that Miller problem. Hey, look, zombies, no <laughs> brains. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go, my undead minions! Attack! Attack! <laughs> uh, and actually, I've run a, a fringeworthy, uh, a number of fringeworthy adventures here at Gen Con, which are called "They're All Dead." Which is a world in which somebody tried to uh, create a kind of a super soldier, and essentially created something that would turn people into zombies. Uh, the end result is the whole world's turning into zombies. But it was all being done by uh, an organization who was trying to find uh, an effective bioweapon to use against the Meller in the Meller uh, Commonwealth world. All right. Well, I think that's it. I think we've hit it. Um, uh, ben, do you want to? Um... Do you want to plug your uh, your stuff there? Oh yeah, absolutely. I have a um, couple of products that are out there for the world of Arunius, uh, including the zombies uh, and a new uh, player character race uh, called the Orcs, which are, are based more on Mongol tribes and uh, charisma and less on brutish, nasty orcs. Uh, and you can get them all at Drive Through RPG. If you uh, just head over there and search for Troll in the Corner, I'm pretty much the only troll in the corner on there. Uh, and you can also check out my website, which is trollitc.com. Troll. Excellent. Well, thanks for being with us, Ben. It's, uh, it's been awesome having you as a guest. I'll have to have you on again sometime. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, and I will come on anytime. And just a real quick plug for a friend of mine who's got a project on Kickstarter. Take a listen. If you feel so inclined, jump on over there and give him, some, give him your support. Uh, if not, that's cool, too. Uh, anyway, it's a cool project. I played it myself. I wholly endorse it. Hey guys, thanks for having me on here tonight. I wanted to talk to you about a project of mine. It's called Ultimate Drama. It's on um, Kickstarter.com, and you can look it up just by looking up Ultimate Drama. What Ultimate Drama is, is a um, series of cards, a drama deck, that is different than any other one that I've seen on the market. This drama deck that we've created does not modify dice rolls, but rather affects the story. It modifies how... NPCs react in the story, how uh, subplots develop in the story. It gives you all kinds of tools to allow the players a chance to take control of the actual direction that the campaign is going. 
what I have found in my own games over the years is that some players are very active. They jump forward. They will do everything that's in their power to make the game better. While other players are more laid back and they don't like to make the big decisions. They won't go outside of the general line of the story and as a result, the stories tend to suffer for it. What this does, this deck of cards, is it allows players that are not as good at taking control of the campaign to do so, and players that are already good at it to find other possibilities that they might not have thought of. Many of the cards do things like um, affecting the way NPCs act to the character, uh, the respect that's given to the character by different groups of NPCs. There are cards that also affect uh, events like natural disasters or uh, weather patterns or um, rebellions or wars. Um, it's kind of hard to really explain how these things work, but essentially what they do is, uh, for instance, if you play the war card, somewhere in the next several game sessions, a war is going to develop as a result of a domino effect that your actions started. Now, it might not cause a war in the nation that you're in. It might be two nations over because your actions here affected some diplomat or stopped some courier on the way. I mean, it's up to the game master to develop how this happens. There's um, cards that affect uh, the way treasures are handed out. Like, uh, you might go and you're patting this guy down looking for some loot and you find Ultraman number one, the comic you've been looking for since you were a kid. You know, I mean, there's a lot of really cool things here. I think that this deck is phenomenal. We've been using it in my Star Trek late night campaign and um, it's really worked well within the campaign. It has caused me as a DM to sit back and go, wow, several times because I have my plan, but suddenly the players pull out one of these cards and I'm like, not expecting it. And then I have to quickly adapt to it. So it's causing me to be a better GM and it's making my players experience a lot better. I hope that everybody that's listening to this recording will go to kickstarter.com, look up Ultimate Drama, or you can look up Drama Deck. Either way, you'll find it. And when you do so, check it out. Look at the images I'm putting up. We have right now a dozen artists working on this. I have another four or five, I guess it's five now, that are um, on the bench that are thinking about putting stuff in. They just haven't quite given the go-ahead for using it. The card has The cards in the deck are 160, and... Of that 160 cards, 25% of them are real game changers. 50% of them, they affect things in a moderate way, and then the last 25% are rather minor. The deck of cards will also come with a set of rules, which will help you in adapting them to whatever game system you're using. I believe that this deck will work with any role-playing game except for maybe amber and even that one it probably would work with um it would just take a little bit of retooling i guess 
the big thing with these cards is that they affect the story and that's the thing to remember it's having tools that can make your story better make your experience of gaming better is what it's all about and i created this deck with the intention of making something that would make all of my adventures better and I think that we've done a phenomenal job. Uh, please check it out. Kickstarter.com, Ultimate Drama. Thanks for having me on, guys. I truly appreciate it. You have a good night. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, We'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Visit us at www.tritechgamers.com or on Facebook. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.